0: Fuck That Thing, it's all about highlighting Caribbean culture, from the music, personalities personality, to Caribbean entrepreneurs.
1: Often times he would show up at my job mm-hmm. and he would attack me at my job. Your hair is too sexy. Who are you trying to pick up at the office? Your dress is too short. Who are you trying to pick up? You're trying to pick up another man, all these types of things would happen on my lunch break and I would have to go to my ba- my office bathroom, wash my face from the tears and go back to my desk like nothing had happened. And so now potentially my job was potentially going to find out and they would fire me. That's what that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay? My school would find out why I was on my way to flunking my first year of college.
0: Yeah.
1: I couldn't mm-hmm. focus. Group assignments, I was hardly ever allowed to do, especially if there were men in the group, because you know what? They could potentially pick you up. Yep. Okay. It was yep. insane. The level of control that this man over had over my life. And so I wanted none of it. If police showed up to my building where I lived with a bunch of other different professionals, you think I want that type of attention coming my way. I want to keep that as quiet as possible. So yeah. I, I ended up fussing up to the, to, the, to the doctor, but I begged him. I said, please don't call the police. I can handle this on my own. I just want to go home. I thankfully had been, I shouldn't say thankfully, I had got diagnosed that morning with upper hip and upper torso contusions, which meant that he had punched so hard that the inner flesh was swollen and bruised. And that's what I felt was like trying to pierce through my skin. I also got a gash on the side of my head. And so um, that was thankfully treated with ice and medication, right? And I went home, not understanding that this was the most dangerous time for me. When victims decide to leave these relationships, as I mentioned earlier, she was getting ready to leave and she took the kids and he shot her, right? This is the most dangerous time for victims is when they decide to leave or if the abuser has any inclination that they're getting ready to leave. That level of power and control that they have over their victims, they don't want to lose that. So over their dead body. And literally sometimes
0: that's what ends up happening. What do you think? I mean, these men and I mean, I guess women too, that men that do go through, what is it that this power that they feel it grows inside of them? Oh, you know, as you sit with them over the years, over the months and they cannot lose control. Is that the narcissist? Yes, absolutely. But I do want to to say that this
1: this type of behavior mm. 90% of the time is learned behavior okay. so the very same way that i learned to accept love the way my mother did yeah. the very same way that i saw that love was supposed to be received by the way my father gave it, Mm -hmm. is the same way that they grow up in these types of settings, whether they learn it from their parents or their communities, that they then take into their own behaviors. And oftentimes people think, oh, well, this is an adult thing, right? That only happens to 20-something-year-olds who are stupid and don't know better, and it goes on and they perpetuate the thing. No, this issue is cycling over and over again from as early as 13 years old. Okay. I do workshops at high schools, middle schools, and babies are coming up to me afterwards. Oftentimes two to three girls saying me too, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know it was abuse. Yeah. My mother is going through it and I don't know how to help. My friend is going through it and I don't know what to say to her. So when you think about Having children, and I was just talking to this beautiful soul this morning on Instagram by messaging, um, that was telling me about her issues and what she's going through, and that she has children with this person, and that she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to um, leave because she didn't grow up with parents, and she wants her children to have yeah. a two-person home. I had to try to set her straight to understand that the children are often the forgotten victims in these relationships. Mm-hmm. They witness as children. Wild witnesses, They see and take in, even though you say, don't you ever go to school and put your hands on somebody. Do yeah. you understand what I'm saying to you? If they're seeing it done to you, trust and believe that's what they're going to do. Not what you say. It's what you do. Right. And these behaviors are learned behaviors that they then take into their school. Settings mm-hmm. or adult relationships, trust and believe. It's it, it plays out in one form or another. I will remember that my 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 oldest brother. God bless his heart. I love him to death. Um, at the time, he was so violent um, in school. He got expelled from two schools because he was growing up in a home that was violent. That's yeah. the way you solved your problems was yeah. with violence. My sister. I have one sister. She um, got the brunt of the child abuse. As I said, they were two years apart and she received her last beating in front of her house. My father ripped her blouse down and she ran and she never came back. She ran away and she never came back. Um, And so again, she grew up to be the person that is, you know, in any relationship, she says, try me. (laughs) She's that one that is not standing. Right. So we all grew up in the same household, five children, and we all took away from this thing that we witnessed different things. Right. I was the only one that became a victim. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about this um, as it relates to children, because, again, this issue isn't just starting because you get into a relationship and today you decide that you're going to just hit your wife, you know, because. You're mad at something that happened outside. No, that's not the way this starts. This is learned behavior that progresses over the years. And yes, when they're in these types of in these relationships, they seek liberties. And so they keep grooming and grooming. And oh, she took the, she took that um cussing that I gave her. Yeah. Let me then move on to uh, a push. Yeah. You know, oh, she took that. All right, let me just graduate to a slap. Oh, she took that. Well, let me just and keeps up in the ante. And so when courting, and so it's easy to talk about what these relationships look like in the beginning mm-hmm. or during, but what are the red flags? And it's important that we understand our boundaries whenever we're dating someone in the yep. beginning of any relationship. I don't care if it's healthy or not. Boundaries are important. If you came into a relationship having a social presence, mm-hmm. keep that, mm-hmm. Okay. If you're Trinidadian and your husband's American and you like to whine on a man and you're say, this is what happens and it's all good. I love you. I'm coming home to you. Boundary. I don't care who you are and what relationship you're in. You have to set boundaries. Again, when we're talking about beginning in courtship, paying attention to the red flags. So attention is great. But it's the level of attention. Right. If it becomes a possessive thing where I have to, you have to check in with this person 20, 30, 40 times a day when you're out with your girlfriends, mm. that's a problem. Yeah. And our guts yell at us in the beginning of these things. But again, you're thinking like it's not going to strike twice. So you say, you know what? I'll just dismiss that. And that's not what you do. Okay. Red flags. It's important to know them. It's important to pay attention to them. And if for some reason you're already in this type of relationship and you know in your heart of hearts that it's wrong and you want to leave, do so and do so safely. Oftentimes we're going to say, oh, I'll go by my mother's house. He knows where you live. Mm-hmm. How is that Okay, he knows how to come and woo you back. It takes victims on average seven to ten times to leave, and that's if they leave alive, right? Because the the, the abuser calls, I love you, darling. Oh gosh, yeah. I can't wait to see you again. Oh gosh, come on, man. You understand? That wasn't me. Mm. Come on, now, man. How long you will carry this on for? Yeah, we can do all that. We can do all that. We can listen to all that, but please know that they are not setting to change. No. Definitely. nothing's gonna change if you're part of the equation okay yeah. and so that's really important to understand And so when you do so when you do realize that you have to leave there are resources available to help you safety plan is what it's called domestic violence agencies exist all across the world in trinidad the center against um, the coalition against domestic violence exists right and they help with counseling They help with safety planning, to make sure that you have documents, important documents that you need to copy and keep separately, maybe a burner phone, Um, all these things that you don't think about necessarily when you decide to leave. And they might help you with shelter, um, there's also The Shelter, it's called The Shelter in Trinidad that provides housing, counseling um, um, for victims when they're deciding to leave. Mm-hmm. So please, 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 if you're thinking about leaving this type of type of relationship, seek help to do so. Because they, again, abusers can only see red when you decide to do that. And that's the last thing you want for you and your children. Okay? And so if you get to the end, like I was when I decided to leave, I, like I said, I went home and thought it was copacetic. For two weeks, I heard nothing from this man. Two weeks, it was quiet. And I didn't know that at this particular time, he was waiting to see what heat was going to come his way. He waited to see no brothers showed up yeah. at his door to beat on him. No police knocked on his door. Yeah. And two weeks to the day, he called me up because the coast was clear. And he said to me over the phone. He said, "I'm coming over." I said, "Are you crazy?" I said, I'm not, I, "I am done." That was the first time I voiced him that I was through. And he said, "What are you overreacting?" He said, "You know, you look for some of that." And that, that right there, reiterated to me why I needed to stay on. Him hearing over and over again in that phone call that I was through set him off. He showed up to my apartment building. I had My locks changed. He waited for people to come out the door and then slipped in that way. And the next thing I heard was him banging on my door. Let me in. I need to talk to you. When I repeatedly told him no, he left. Five minutes later, he came back and he started to try to break into my apartment. That's when I finally called the police, but not from my landline because he had cut the phone lines in the basement. Wow. Okay. He was using something like a crowbar to get in between the locks because again, the locks were changed. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time I had called for help and but even then I didn't want to give him up. When I moved to the States, I started hearing a lot about, you know, black men are incarcerated are at a higher level um, than white men. Mm -hmm. And it's bad to snitch and, you know, you know, we got to protect our men. And I walked with that for almost two years. So when I called the police, even though I wanted the abuse to stop, one, I still loved him because you don't just turn off the feelings for somebody that you've been with for quite some time, right? That doesn't just happen like like that. Um, I loved him, but I also didn't want to get him in trouble. And I also didn't want to be ostracized from my community for saying that you put another Black man in jail okay so you walk with all of these feelings and these emotions right but when i called the police i said someone someone is trying to break into my apartment when he heard me repeatedly talking on the phone he then realized that the cops were really on their way and he fled when the cops showed up they found uh wood scrapings at the bottom of the door where he had tried to break in Mm -hmm. and i told them i tried to call them from my landline and that's where they asked where the lines were they went into the basement and saw that the lines had been cut um over the next couple of weeks, uh, he started stalking me. Um, so he was leaving. There was a car uh, my girlfriend had let me borrow because she didn't want me taking the train with him on the loose. Um, he started leaving really nasty notes, derogatory notes on my car, like nasty stuff that I would have to fish off first thing in the morning. And that's when I was like, all right, Laverne, you got to get a restraining order. And I went to the court. Can you imagine a 23 year old in court filing for a restraining order? Like what does that even look like? The whole system is daunting when you walk into a courthouse and you've never been in one, right? And you have to fill out an affidavit, and then for the clerk to tell you, okay, thanks for that. So you'll be, you'll have to, you'll have a ten-day restraining order, and when that, when that's up, you got to come back to to, to 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 talk to the judge to get a, a, a one-year restraining order. Mm-hmm. I said, oh my god! I said, you mean I have to come back and talk in front of people about what just happened to me in public, and he's gonna be there. Mm-hmm. People often get to that point and they either turn around and say no, because there's nobody there to support them. Now it's changed. I didn't have a victim witness advocate with me, but many in many court systems, there are victim advocates that can walk you through the process. The DV agencies have legal advocacy that can help you with the process of filling out a restraining order or walking you through the court process. You are not alone. And I guess that's what I wanna impart. My restraining order um, kept him away. That's what finally kept him away. But many people don't get that chance. Oftentimes you hear the, the restraining order was violated because again they know where they live, yeah. um, and they're gonna just go at, at stop at nothing to get at you. Um, But again, there are people there to help you. So you're thinking the other side is daunting and it's scary, and it certainly was that for me. But my God, if I had known that all these resources existed,
0: do you think I wouldn't have picked up the phone confidentially and called these people? Oh yeah, I think I think for women, you know me being a um a survivor i think it's you know you get caught up in this this world with this person you know i have kids with this person um yep. and you don't look outside it's almost like they put you in a bubble and that isolation yeah you can't, you can't see anything outside you know no friends, mm-hmm. friends you know family Absolutely. um mine burned my passport to trinidad it was like you oh. know it, it's just, you know, and sometimes you don't even have to hit after a while. You don't have to hit the person. You just, no, nope. stamp your feet. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you have to get in line. You have, you are in, in line. Oh my God. What am I going to deal with today? Yes, absolutely. The mannerisms, you know,
1: you know, you know, off the bat. Right. And these are some of the symptoms of what PTSD can look like. Right. So even after you've long left the relationship. Yeah. You hear a stamp, you hear a pound mm-hmm. from me. Where as far as my father's concerned, I remember and I have my brush and we'll use my brush right now. I have my father would have his glass. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mother was like his servant, right? And she would serve his food first, right? Have his table laid out, well nice, neat, with the with the with the gravy in one bowl and the and the and the rice in another. And it was like all laid out. And I remember when he used to sit. And he had a glass and he would ice in it. And that for me, I can't hear somebody stringling on glass. That puts me right back to my father and I can't deal with it. For, I can't have people walking up from behind me. I can't, I have to sit with the door facing me because at any given point, I don't want anybody to run upon me because I potentially feel like we have a glass shower door in our in our bathroom mm-hmm. and I'm remarried next year. It will be 10 years my husband and I have been married right. and we have two beautiful children um, and, and life is great, but the effects of this issue still linger, right? So the glass shower door, I remember when we started you know, where we lived in this particular house, he would come in and sometimes he, he he's a prankster. So he likes playing jokes. Right. Yeah. So he would come in and he'd stand up by the glass like this. And I'd be turned around. And when I turn around, he's there. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right. Because I think I don't see him immediately. What I see is the potential of being harmed. Yeah. A potential of a figure. I, I just see a male figure initially that they are potentially going to harm me. It's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So uh, at the very early on, I had to explain to him how that does me, like sets me in like in a whole different, Mm -hmm. like it sends me like crazy. So that again, the, the physical bruises, again, I went on a business trip this past week to North Carolina. And this is how far and wide this issue goes, right? I'm on this business trip and a a industry colleague of mine um, mentioned to me that, because she knows that I do this work um, uh, separately. And she said, you know, I have have an employee of mine who I believe is being abuse I know verbal abuse is present I don't know if physical is involved but I'd really like for you to talk to her yes. I sit down and I talk to this woman and we have a great conversation I let her know about my story she begins to you know yes 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 and at the end of it she says um you know what um you know even though he talks to me that way and I know my my employer is concerned you know he doesn't really abuse me right number one number two she says you know he's never hit me Mm. Um, but I know that what I'm going through is wrong. And I know that I need to leave. And I hear everything that you just said. She said, but oftentimes I just wish that he would hit me so that I, I could have an excuse, a real legitimate excuse of why I need to leave. And she doesn't realize
0: the hit will be just more confirmation that you're staying. I couldn't
1: believe it. But oftentimes, that was—that's what we believe. If we haven't been physically bruised, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing, right? Because it, it's not the same thing, right? Because people hear about hear the term domestic violence, and the first thing they think about is being physically hit, mm-hmm. not understanding that domestic violence is a systematic pattern of behavior,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: just hitting. Systematic pattern of behavior of power and control. Yeah. That. Exist with physical, emotional, and verbal abuse, yes. and sexual. Yes, sexual. Okay, and it
0: because they will it. with you and then have sex with you. I mean, like I would, and it's, it's a level of almost like rape. It feel like rape because here you are, yes. a woman till two, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, and then you have to go have sex with him. You have, you have to- no choice. You're gonna be more mad.
1: Yes. So to keep things quiet or to bring things down, you give in to that power and that control. Yeah. And so I often have to have, I had to explain to her, I said, you are in an abusive relationship. Yeah. I said, "And yeah, you're wishing that the physical happened, but guess what? The physical bruise, if he ever hit you, will go away, mm-hmm. okay? Those emotional scars that are building underneath will never go away. And it's one of the reasons why we went the direction that we did with my book cover when the publisher point um sort of uh, um um uh, presented the idea of the book cover uh, shoot to me. I initially was like, I don't know, that might be too much. Yeah. People in my in my network who are survivors will be easily triggered by seeing an image like that. But the more and more I thought about it, I was like, no, people have to understand that again, you go through behind closed doors, whether it's physical or emotional, these scars that you build up over a period of time, and you then have to step out into the world. Yes. Work at the church yeah family and present the other half that everything is normal people must understand that that's what this issue looks like and like i said the physicalities of it will go away the bruise will go away Mm -hmm. but that those emotional scars whether on the surface or beneath they still exist and that's why we chose the cover that we did um for the legacy he left me and you know the, the the day that we shot that cover they brought in a special effects person to do one half and a makeup person to do the other half. Mm-hmm. And when they were done and they gave me a mirror, it took me out. I saw myself. I saw my mother. I saw many survivors that I've met along, this, along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I needed a moment. But afterwards, I was like, you know what? No, this is what folks need to see. This is what folks need to understand what this issue looks like. I needed to grab your attention. And hope and, you know. so far, it's done that. So I'm just I'm grateful now to be on the other side. I left that relationship. He stayed away with the restraining order. Ten years it took me. It took me ten years. I started out going back to church mm-hmm. because my faith was really important to me before I met this man. Yeah. Um, and I that's what reacclimated me with getting in, you know, involved with the public. Yeah. I didn't even trust myself to look at men in the grocery store for months. It was because I kept hearing in my head from him. you you know, you're inviting attention, you know, don't look at him because, you know, he's trying to pick you up. These are the things that I would hear months Mm -hmm. walking. People would say, Hey, beautiful. Hey, what's going on? Don't talk to me and just keep going. Cause it's like, no, this is what I believed after so much time with this man. And so after some time going to church, um, you know, getting in contact with friends, um, getting in contact with family i never told them the extent of what happened to me 10 years later i went to a girls night um with some girlfriends of mine and one of them was starting a beauty pageant that was local to the boston area and the other girls was like laverne you should take part in it you you should you would be great i was like i don't want to walk in no damn dress and heels and ah, that's not for me and they dared me enough that I was like, OK, I'll do it. I ended up winning the local leg and had to go on to L.A. for the Nationals. And I ended up winning there, too. So I had, now I have these two pageantry titles and I have to pick a platform. And domestic violence was an easy choice, given my history with the issue. I wanted people to know what resources were available that I wasn't aware of when I went through this. And I know another a lot of people in my area, in my community at the time, did not know existed. If I didn't know back then, can you imagine how many other women and girls in my space didn't? So I did that. I started a betting drive. I I did a walk. Um, And for all these things that I'm talking about that first year, maybe 30 people showed up. But I was like, you know what? I want to do more. What else can I do? So I kept doing these things. And once the year was up with the pageant titles... I know I wasn't a pageant girl, but I really wanted to continue this work. And that's where Love Life Now was formed. Um, And now, as I mentioned earlier, 10 years, this has been 10 years that we've been doing this awareness work and we talk to anybody that will listen. And so I've been on many platforms, you know, CBS This Morning and spoken as far as Saudi Arabia. Um, I just got asked to come to Ibiza next year to come speak at at a conference. So I've, you know, I've done the thing, but at the end of the day, when I close those Door Cindy, this issue still lives with me. And it I really understood that when I when I started to write the book. Yeah. I said, okay, the publisher approached me, Laverne, we think your story would be a great, you know, fit for our for our brand. I'm like, all right, I shared my story a gazillion times over the years. This is gonna be a, a, a walk in the park. Yeah. I started writing October last year and I finished in January but by november, Cindy, i was having brutal nightmares. i was seeing women killed in my dreams and it was as vivid as it was happening in front of me. i was waking up in cold sweats. the ptsd was at a high intense level um and by november i realized that i couldn't do this on my own. i needed a therapist. yeah. and i started seeking a therapist. and i looked and i shopped and that's something i want to impart on people is that Finding a therapist isn't just, oh, go buy this one because, you know, she did good for me. It has to be somebody that fits you and your situation. For domestic violence victims, I often say, please find someone that is um, versed in the area of trauma and DV, okay, number one, Um, not just any old one, right? And so I took about three months and I found the one that fit me. And I started talking to her, she in Vermont, me in Boston, but thank God for telehealth. Yeah. So I started talking to her and she got me to understand that even though I am many years removed from my issue, mm-hmm. that this issue will live with me forever. I now have tools though, mm-hmm. To manage the triggers mm-hmm. that pop up and will pop up at any given point and that's what the difference is when you find someone that you can unpack this stuff with and i don't care if you've never been abused i don't care if you've never been sexually assaulted we all have stuff, stuff. that we need to unpack. Yes. I don't care who you are. Yeah. You come from home to work, from home to church, from home to your at whatever setting with stuff. Yeah. And you need a third party to unload that. So you can't carry this stuff on your own. When you're physically sick, you go to a doctor. Yeah. When you're emotionally depleted and you need fulfillment from something else, you go to church. Mm-hmm. Your mental health is the same thing. Yeah, You need to address what's going on up here and in here. It is just as important because if that's not working correctly, nothing else can, can function. For the most part so um, I'm now an advocate a huge proponent for, for mental health I still see my therapist even though I've done writing the book the book was released in June it's all over the place yay but I still see a therapist not because it's anything relating to domestic violence or triggers but I just have a, a sounding board that I can talk to every Wednesday at 12 o'clock that's part of my self-care and part of my me time yeah. and I I wouldn't give it up for the world it's made me a better person from here.